And now, coming to you live from Moby.co, this is The Flagship Pod, a weekly live podcast about the market, the economy, and the subtle forces shaping the world around you, brought to you by Moby.co. As always, my hope, my name is Peter Starr, bringing you this time an awesome conversation about the market rallying around uh, interest rates, some really great news out of China, some really awesome crypto stuff, just a really great episode overall. I'm really excited that the market is finally making some moves. All of Q1, we felt really frozen, and it's really exciting to see some market movement after just some really, you know, awful volatility around the European situation. I've got a lot of updates for you today, audience, and to sort of guide me through the complexity of that market. As always, audience, I am joined by Justin Kramer, CEO and co-founder here at Moby.co, as well as our chief analyst. Justin, man, what's good? Can you hear me okay? How's it going on your end? Yeah, everything is, is great. So it's currently snowing right now. I thought winter was over, but um, <laughs> but other than that, it's good to see the market starting to rebound a tiny bit. Hopefully, some more uh, some more positive news coming. Exactly. And a lot of that's just simply due to the market, you know, understanding that everything's kind of going according to plan, right? So it's just really exciting to see that, like, we hiked interest rates uh, this week. Finally, we've been talking about it since literally November of last year. It's amazing to finally see that moment in the market saying, you know what, that's exactly what I wanted to see. Let's calm down and get right into it. Um, so Justin, like, it's uh, it's awesome to see the S&P's up, like, basically 2% today, like, you know, a percent and a half, actually. What do you think in terms of, like, seeing the market reacting really well to these the the Fed uh, upping our interest rate by uh, 25 basis points. Is that exactly what you wanted to see too? Is that too slow? Is that too fast even? Like what are the things we need to watch out for as we sort of watch the Fed finally sort of take control of our inflation situation? Yeah, I would have liked to see raise it a little bit more, but for the first time ever, um, the fact that they kept saying inflation is, is transitory and it doesn't matter and it's going away and you see how wrong they actually were. They they're just doing too little too late. Um, it's better than doing nothing at all, but I would have liked to see this a lot sooner. Having said that, the the market seems to be digesting it very well. Everyone knows this is much needed. Um, I think the only thing that people need to really question right now or are questioning are is um, if they keep raising rates and the war raises uh, rages on in Eastern Europe, A, will inflation stop? And B, ultimately, will they be able to avoid a recession? Um, I think that's the biggest risk right now. Outside of that, I think valuations can still continue to fall, um, but they're getting to a place now where where things are starting to make a little bit more sense. Um, so long story short, definitely a step in the right direction, but it's going to be much more needed. Um, there are six more hikes anticipated this year, so we'll see how it shakes out. Exactly. And the main thing to keep in mind, audience, is the timing in those hikes is still a little bit fuzzy right now. We don't know when those seven hikes will come in. But the fact of the matter is, is that we saw one hike and the market responded really well. So this is honestly a very exciting time. One question I get a lot, audience, is about sort of how crypto will respond to this. There's a lot of like crypto doomsayers in our audience who say the Fed raises rates, Bitcoin's going to crash, it's going to crash the whole Bitcoin market. But if you look traditionally at when the Fed raises rates, Bitcoin actually rises in price, which will drive up the rest of the crypto market. The thing that's going to be really interesting, the thing that's going to be like the scientific moment that helps us understand this market audience is actually what happens when A, these rates are getting raised, and B, qualitative easing turns into qualitative tightening once we sort of get, once the Fed starts sort of evening out its balance sheet, which is two events we haven't seen occur at the same time in quite a bit, at least in sort of the crypto economy. So watch out for that. Justin, as you sort of like watch the Fed's moves, like what are you thinking in terms of like the Fed sort of like thinking about its balance sheet? Is that something that's coming down the pipe too, or is the Fed just being super cautious right now? 
Yeah, I mean the the Fed is going to have to continue doing more. As I kind of said before, it's it's they're doing the right things now after a year or two of of completely ignoring them. Um, but they're going to continue to need to completely reverse their stance. Um, and again, the fears are that they push us towards recession instead of just combating inflation. Um, so I, I think based on what we've seen so far, we've been calling for this since November. Um, it's it's frustrating seeing it and not being able to to react properly um, because like things are going down and yeah, you can short the market, but it's hard to make money shorting in the long term and, and it is risky. So, I mean, long story short, it's kind of like everyone saw this coming or at least we saw this coming um, and we'll continue to probably see this uh, for the next few months. Uh, if you remember back in like November or October, we were calling for a very, very heavy inflationary first half of the year and with some normalization in the second half of the year. So with the Fed looking to start tightening things up and actually decrease money supply, um, it's going to take a bit to shake out. But I think the, the second half of the year, what we said in October still holds true today. Exactly. Yeah. And this is one of those things we just really, really just have to keep an eye on audience, right? Like there's so many little details in this. And so you can kind of admire the Fed for being as cautious as it is. Maybe the Fed should have been a lot faster given that like inflationary pressure just kind of increased given 2022 being the way 2022 has. But there's a lot of little things you can kind of think about in terms of how the market's going to shake this out. And so what you have to re realize is, is that you sort of start thinking about problems and the market starts realizing those problems much slower than you might see them coming. And so one thing that's really interesting about that is like while we're still monitoring the volatility that's coming out of Europe, certain other situations that were more negative than needed to be are finally getting resolved. And that's honestly China. Um, one thing that's really exciting is watching the Chinese government kind of finally relax a lot of the tension it had for its uh, stocks listed on the US market. Uh, two days ago, they based, no, actually yesterday, sorry, 24 hours ago, they came out and said, hey, we're comfortable with stocks like Alibaba, Tencent, JD, Lucid, all of these stocks being listed on the US markets, and we saw all of these stocks pop off 30, 25, 25 to 35%. That volatility has calmed down a little bit, like 10 cents down 7% today after a massive pop. But Justin, as you look at that, as you sort of think about uh, China, you know, finally calming down a little bit, how does this kind of look in terms of our investing environment? Does that mean we shift a little bit of our capital over to Chinese markets since they're a little bit more stable than US markets now that like there's a little bit of that, a little bit less uncertainty? Or is that sort of volatility going to creep into China now that like we're getting a little bit more of Western dollars into the Chinese uh, stock market? Yeah, I mean, so like you, it's a good question because you look at like stocks like Alibaba and Neo, a lot of these companies that have massive opportunity, but in case you didn't pay attention, they were running into massive risks of being delisted in the US. So basically, if you want to invest in Alibaba, you want to invest in these stocks, typically most investors are doing through doing them through like their U.S. listed shares. Uh, federal regulators came out and said that you, they weren't complying with all their regulation. You can trust the numbers, their financials. And for the longest time, for the last six months to a year, there is a real chance of them getting delisted. And that risk is still present. Um, but the Chinese government, to your point, came out yesterday and said that, A, they're not only going to support um, these companies staying listed on U.S. exchanges, but they're also going to like step out of their operational day-to-day -day affairs, which is a massive reverse course of kind of what they've been doing to date. Um, I think then ultimately saying that they want to support them being listed on U.S. companies is a no-brainer. Um, they would be honestly stupid. The opposite. It 
companies is is too hard to turn around. So with that kind of fear now going away, um, these stocks really have the chance to rebound. And so yesterday we saw like a 50% pop in some of these names. And so that was probably a little overbought. Today we saw the names trade down. Um, but this kind of is now the first catalyst we can see towards a move up. I mean, a lot of these stocks were sold off 75, 80%. And they're good name with massive growth opportunities. After that run-up that we saw in 2020 of Neo, it's down 60, 70, 80%. Alibaba, which is the Amazon of China, is also down 60, 70, 80%. So again, these are going to take a bit of time to play out because the risk isn't totally gone. But these are awesome opportunities that now we have some clarity after a year of guessing that has serious upside. And even with that 30, 40% pop yesterday, I mean, they're still down 60, 70%. It's not like you missed it at all. Exactly. And audience, this is your main thing as you think about sort of value investing your way through sort of difficult market moments, right? The main thing, uh, the main thing you have to think about is moments where um, you have really big macroeconomic pressures that are outside of the control of like small groups of people that are going to drive down the values of stocks, like say, supply chain issues, the price of nickel jumping 5x in the span of a week and sort of like messing everything up. And things where people actually have control where like the Chinese government saying, okay, hey, turns out the simplest thing to make our companies grow is to give them access to Western capital with no doubts. And so you have to look for moments like that. And so that's one of the main reasons why we've been really excited about stocks like Tencent, Neo, Lucid, and Alibaba. Lucid not as much because of all of the Chinese EV providers. They're the ones that I have the most questions about. Um, but Neo, still very exciting. Uh, the reason you're kind of seeing me be a little unfocused audience is honestly because I'm operating in about 45 minutes of sleep in the past 24 hours because I had to rush a video of Tencent out this morning to make sure it kind of caught the wave. By the way, check out youtube.com slash C slash invest to see our views and why T Tencent has a lot of really strong fundamentals to be a really strong player in the attention economy here in um, like 2022. I think the attention economy is going to be a really, really big uh, play right now. But as you look at this audience, you have to find those moments where people actually have control. Like Jerome Powell can stabilize the markets a little bit here in America by raising rates by 25 basis points. But at the end of the day, he's not, he, like, as much as we want to hope that the U.S. is in control of U the U.S. inflation, like, a lot of the inflationary pressure is outside of our control. You can't really control supply chains around the world, as we still have a lot of small issues in terms of, like, the cost of, like, shipping goods around the world getting more and more messed up as more and more pandemic stuff kind of raises its head, as more reverberations out of all of the situations we're dealing with worldwide exist. Like, there's a lot of a lot of roads in our global economy run through Ukraine, and we're going to get into that a little bit later. But I want you to keep that in mind as you move through this. One huge play was sort of like thinking, okay, all of the negativity surrounding Chinese stocks is made up. The Chinese government isn't that stupid, and anybody who pl thought that bought into Alibaba, Neo, and Tencent probably is feeling really smug right now, but maybe don't do that right now. Wait for the excitement to pass. There's still a lot of great fundamentals in both Alibaba and Tencent as you move forward with this. But as we roll through, audience, there's still a lot of really great things now that we're seeing the market stabilize around um, uh, these interest, interest rates going up. Like Bitcoin hasn't popped off yet, but as people get more and more confident about the market being excited about this, you'll see Bitcoin rise, which means you'll see the rest of crypto rise, which means it's finally getting back to altcoin season where we can think about sort of more altcoin plays that sort of have higher growth potential, which Justin, getting back to you finally, is why I'm so excited about talking about uh, various crypto moments, specifically uh, getting into interoperability. You find I've been, you know, 
annoying you a lot to do um, an analysis on Atom and Cosmos and talking about sort of like inter-blockchain operations. And I'm so excited this week that uh, actually, yeah, yes, you know, today, you put it out today. We put, you put out a research paper on Atom and Cosmos. Can you kind of take me through sort of your thoughts in terms of like what you think uh, the future of technology and blockchain is as we think about not just different blockchains that are competing with each other, but interoperability between those blockchains and the sort of amazing infrastructure that things like Atom and Cosmos are powering to make this economy work despite all this volatility. Yeah, it's a good question. And this is going to be a little bit of a longer answer. So everyone who's listening now or on the uh, the recorded version, please bear with me, but this is super important. So if you listen to anything, I would, I would definitely check listen to this part. Um, so I'm going to break down your, your question into two different questions. The first question is, what makes Cosmos so special? Um, and then once I answer that, I can also just talk about some other proof of stake coins um, and what makes just in general um, a good opportunity as investors for that as well. So let me dive into the first part of that question. And so the first part of that question is what is making Cosmos so special is going to be two things. So if you look at most other proof of stake coins, um, which is, you could think of Ethereum, um, you can think of Polkadot, you can think of Terra, there's, there's a ton of coins operating on the system. One of the main things they're trying to do is create an ecosystem. So Ethereum is a layer one uh, blockchain or layer one protocol where you can build on top of it. Um, and so Terra and some of these other ones are also layer one protocols where you built on top of their blockchain. Um, everyone is trying to create these ecosystems, these communities, these companies built on top of them. But what Cosmos is doing that is so different is they are building an ecosystem not on top of themselves, but kind of in conjunction with themselves. So what I mean by that is they released their own software development kit that essentially allows you to build your own blockchain, not on top of, but using Cosmos technology um, to create your own blockchain and then your own ecosystem. And then once you've built this, what they do is they have this thing called the IBC, which is essentially a bridge between every single person who's built blockchains using their technology all connected together seamlessly. So rather than congest one network or congest two or three networks, they're all acting like kind of in a vacuum isolated so that are, their systems are very efficient. And then they also are able to all communicate with each other. And so if you see systems that have hot or giant ecosystems, um, the problem with that is really high gas fees. So you look at Ethereum, Transferring tokens from one address to another is really expensive. It can be 50, 100 bucks a transaction. What Cosmos is doing is trying to avoid that exact same issue. And by not building on top of them, but building in parallel, they can keep down transaction fees very substantially and then solve a bunch of different use cases at the same time. So they're solving kind of the, the whole interoperable, low gas fees, talking to each other like in a really, really unique way. I think from a value add perspective, they're adding one of the most values to the, you know, the crypto ecosystem. However, there is some risk because you don't necessarily need Cosmos in the long run or the Atom coin, which is the name of their token, to necessarily build out um, like your blockchain or, or continue do or continue like expanding on your own ecosystem. It's kind of like a starting point. It doesn't necessarily need to be there forever. So there is like an inherent risk. But 
at the end of the day, they're truly innovating and making a lot of progress along the way. They have the second most uh, developers in their ecosystem, um, and they're actually um, the technology behind a lot of larger coins that you'll see out there, like Terra and some others. Um, they have 50 to date. So Cosmos is doing some really cool, really unique stuff. And then I think the second part of what I wanted to kind of answer too was what they're doing and what everyone else is doing in terms of like staking with proof of stake. Um, so super quick, like history lesson, Bitcoin comes around, there's proof of work. Proof of work basically says you need to com commit a certain amount of compute power in order to solve this algorithm. And if you solve this algorithm and you validate a transaction, you'll get paid out in Bitcoin. The problem with that is it ends up being a lot of energy. Um, and a lot of compute power you need to ultimately win the the prize or win the uh, the auction. So a new method came out called proof of stake, and this is what a lot of coins are transitioning to. That basically says you will stake your coins in the network in order to help validate transactions. And the kind of the thinking there is rather than solves you know this inherent like tough algorithm that costs a lot of energy and a lot of time and a lot of money, you can stake your coin. And the more coins you stake, the more power you have, but ultimately the more you have a risk to ultimately ensure the best like network security and long-term viability of the coin. And so with that, you stake your coin, you get rewarded. Somewhere you solve an algorithm, you get rewarded. And so what you can do is everyone then can participate. If I want to go, you know, mine Bitcoin tomorrow, I have to buy a, a machine, I have to find an energy source. It, it's just not easy. But with this proof of stake mechanism, you can start staking tomorrow. Make it super easy. And so whether it's, you know, Cosmos or Polkadot or Avalanche or whatever these proof of stake methods are working on, you can start staking tomorrow and earning yield. Um, so Cosmos, for example, is paying around 15% annually on whatever you yield. So you put in $1,000, you get paid 15%. You put in $10, you get paid 15%. Um, and granted, you're not getting paid in a stable asset, so you are taking some inherent risk. But if your coins are just sitting in a wallet, you're losing out on 10 to 15% extra yield per year based upon the project itself. So it's a long-winded answer um, to your original question in terms of what makes Cosmos unique and ultimately why staking so, so cool. But Cosmos and a lot of these proof-of-stake coins is a really, really awesome way to not only participate in Upside, but also be able to stake and just get yields while prices are low and you can buy more of it. So it's an awesome, really, really interesting opportunity right now. And, um, I know I've been talking for a while, so I hope you guys were able to digest that. And I just want to summarize that real fast, audience, because I want to make sure you always understand our philosophy as an organization here. Our philosophy is that you always should be a long-term investor. You never want to try to time the market. You always want to have as much time in the market as possible. And that's across every kind of asset. When you make a bet, I want you to make it a, a multi-year bet no matter what. And so in crypto, you get a lot of interest around people trying to trade around crypto volatility, especially some people in our audience who are in awesome countries like Switzerland where they don't have crypto taxes. And 
they don't have to worry about the government taking their profits if they trade around crypto volatility. If you, you know, have to worry about taxes and all that, buy and hold. But if you're just holding and waiting for, you know, your your assets to go up and down, you may as well be staking at the same time. And so that that's what you should be thinking about as you sort of get into altcoin season. If you have a proof of stake system, you should be buying into Avalanche, buying into Polkadot, buying into Cosmos, and immediately just start staking that. Because if you've made the decision to buy, that's because you believe that that money you have is you're just you're lighting that money on fire, so to speak. You're letting that money sit far away from you, no access for one to five years, in my opinion, minimum, right? And so uh, that's what's really exciting about staking for us because it really ties into our long-term strategy. You listen to other podcasts, people will say, you know, you buy, you you find good moments to sell, and you can kind of play around the tax tax situation like that. That'll never really be our perspective because we want to make sure that you have the best possible chance of maintaining, uh, developing and maintaining generational wealth. So keep that in mind. And so as we think about that, it's always fun finding these moments where we're, you know, getting into these situations where we're seeing these small economic moments that'll compound over time, which is why I'm so excited about the next segment of this podcast audience, because we're getting to a moment where two of our different and analytical perspectives have kind of come together. We finally have had a disagreement um, internally about how a stock is doing. Uh, earlier uh, in 2021, I did an analysis on Rocket Lab, both for our premium members and on our YouTube channel. And what happened was is that my analysis of Rocket Lab may have been a little bit too conservative. And Justin, who is a much more experienced analyst and uh, somebody who understands stocks a little bit better than I did, took that research I did went on top of it and has actually updated our price target to be a little bit more in line with what he sees as the reality, which is frankly a lot more optimistic than mine was. Like, because of my inexperience, I'm going to be a lot more conservative as an analyst. And so I'm really excited for Justin to update us on that. Um, Justin, you took a really deep dive into Rocket Lab's Q1 earnings report, updated my price target entirely. Um, can you kind of take me through why you're excited about Rocket Lab and take me uh, take me through why I might have been a little bit too conservative when I thought Rocket Lab was only going to go up to about 9 $10 and why you think a more reg, a more realistic short-term price record is more in the $13 space? Yeah, totally. And um, I guess before I dive into it, do you want to give a little bit of context on Rocket Lab in general, just so people have an understanding of the stock? Because uh, I know you, you obviously know the company so well. Yeah. Uh, first of all, audience, understand the bias of people who are giving you stock information. I am talking to you from Torrance, California, which used to be the world headquarters of Rocket Lab. They're now down in Long Beach, which makes way more sense from a tax perspective. Um, but Rocket Lab is the best possible aerospace company uh, to invest in right now for small launch providers. If you want to get a guaranteed return, invest in Lockheed. If you want something real risky and goofy, invest in Boeing. But if you want a cool, interesting startup long-term hold, the game is Rocket Lab right now. Rocket Lab is a small rocket provider who is going to break into the medium launch space and then completely take over providing launches for constellations while Elon Musk and SpaceX send like moonshots to Mars and Elon and Jeff Bezos builds weird wacky moon bases, right? I'm so excited for the future of Rocket Lab as they're kind of building the more realistic democratized infrastructure for space via both um, advancements in their electron rocket and their soon-to-be-released neutron rocket, especially since that medium launch space was owned by companies like the United Launch Alliance, who uh, relied entirely 
entirely on Russian rocket engines. And spoiler alert, Russia's not sending America rocket engines anymore, and so suddenly these the this company, Rocket Lab, is in a position to completely take over uh, the tier below what Elon Musk is doing with the Falcon 9 and Starship. And so, Justin, when you look at that, and you look at the financials, and you look at the sales that Rocket Lab has done so far, and look at their backlog, which was pretty great when I did my analysis, and since Q1 has kind of blown up a little bit. What do you see in terms of like the financials of that company real fast? Yeah, so with Rocket Labs, again, to your point, it's going to be a very long-term play. So all we can do is kind of look at growth right now. Um, it's tough to really take a position and say, um, you know, financially they're, they're doing so well. So we have to just look at like from a growth perspective, how they're doing it. Um, and then hopefully from an efficiency standpoint, they can start doing better. So, I mean, Rocket Lab is is an awesome company. Like you, you pointed out to me, I want to give you full credit there, but by 2030, 80% of all satellite launches are going to be constellations, which essentially are just like these large swarms of small satellites parked together in an orbit rather than like, you know, this massive giant international space station. Um, so they are like rapidly developing into one of the largest opportunities there. Um, so for them, and this is what I kind of made the update on on top of Peter's analysis was a short-term price target. That's something that's realistic. And then a longer-term price target. So when you think about like SpaceX, and you think about some of these other massive aeronautics companies, Rocket Lab has the potential to do that too. So if things work out, they're going to end up two, three, four, five Xing in the long run. So I'll fundamentally still agree there. But in the short term, they have a lot of still really cool things going on that assuming their valuation <laughs> doesn't get hit any harder and we start moving into a position where people are more comfortable with the interest rate environment, their growth is insane to the point where like it does justify a higher price target in the shorter term. Um, so you look specifically at the company right now, you see that their backlog, which is essentially going to be their orders and demand in the last two months has 2xed already, which is insane. And looking back even further at 2020, we see that it's up 750%. I mean, that that amount of growth and interest in launching satellites to space it is out of control. And then when you factor in on top of that, they've made three to four acquisitions in the last year. They've already started to integrate those acquisitions in with their current backlog of demand. They're buying launch sites in New Zealand on the other side of the world so that they can start satisfying more demand and more flexibility of schedules. And it just they're they're on a track right now for insane growth. Um, what's even more is they have a neutron racket that still hasn't even launched yet. That's set to go in 2023. Um, their revenue is growing over 30, 40% a year. Um, and they're actually looked to start getting positive EBITDA by by the end of next year. So this is a, a really cool company. It definitely comes with a very high amount of risk. Um, but if you're looking to get involved in the space sector, um, and make a bet on satellite companies. Um, we, you know, we personally um, are are kind of all in on this one. It's it's going to be, as Peter said, due to our investing style, like multi year hold with a high amount of risk. But um, this is a big thematic bet on space, just um, being a, a huge investment opportunity for us. And not only space audience, I want you to see space, but like from an adult perspective, because a lot of the companies you see. <laughs> 
trying to do space stuff right now are just trying to do like the biggest most impressive thing possible elon musk is trying to launch a nine meter ride nine meter wide rocket right now with the most powerful rocket engines known to mankind and he's running into all sorts of problems jeff bezos and blue origin are trying to catch up to him with this ludicrous overpowered engine from blue origin and this massive new glenn rocket that hasn't even been built yet let alone going to fly nasa is trying to serve the entire United States of America with jobs, and therefore one rocket from them is costing potentially $4.5 billion per launch, which is roughly 40x, which you can get out of Rocket Lab. Rocket Lab's perspective is, hey, let's make just an engine that is like 20% better than all the other engines, let's make a rocket that's about 45% better than other rockets for small launches, and then let's start not a rocket company, but a space-as-a-service company. Rocket Lab is the Apple of aerospace right now. They are fully integrated. They are building services that basically you sign a contract with Rocket Lab and all their subsidiaries come together, build you your satellite, build you your integration, build you your rocket, get you to space, and then give you all of the sort of little tools you need to make everything happen. And so what's really interesting about Rocket Lab is they're making money at every stage of the launch, whereas Elon Musk is making rocket fuel, building a rocket, and if the rocket explodes, he loses money, but if it doesn't, then, like, it's over. Whereas the Rocket Lab situation is one where they're always making money, and so anytime somebody takes any, steals any pages out of the Apple playbook, I'm buying in, because there's there's the potential for that Apple level of growth in that industry. And so keep that in mind. That's why we're really excited about Rocket Lab. It's not a rocket company, even though Rocket's right there in the title. It's space as a service, which is <laughs> the exact game we're trying to play right now. And so as we get into the back half here, this is a really jam-packed episode kind of bouncing around a lot. Again, it's a very exciting moment in the market audience, but we have to remember the excitement on Thursday, March 17th at market close is more due to volatility than anything. At the beginning of this week, we saw potentials for talks to end the situation in Ukraine. Um, Those talks have kind of fallen through and the situation in Ukraine is turning a little bit a little bit more dire right now so you have to keep in mind that like we're positive right now but that positivity can turn on an absolute dime especially in an inflationary environment remember even though the fed has raised rates even though the market is more confident about that even though things are looking okay we're still waiting on qualitative easing to come to an end we're still waiting on the market to fully react to interest rates we're still waiting on god hoping a peaceful solution to the situation in ukraine russia pulling out ukraine defending its sovereignty and all of that. But right now, there's a lot of question marks, so we're just in the sort of positive swing of a volatility cycle. And so, Justin, sort of final thoughts from you. We've kind of kept you a little bit longer than we needed to. But as you think about that, Justin, like anything, you, anything you're seeing in terms of like the Eastern European situation that we should keep in mind, are we going to see more um, supply chain inflation? Are we going to see any more volatility coming out of this situation? Like, what are you watching as you sort of monitor the global situation as the market sort of reacts in a more positive cycle today, March 17th? Yeah, we're just going to have to take it in stride um, and see how things are affected. I mean, hopefully we move towards some sort of peaceful resolution. Obviously, some of the news we've seen this morning and yesterday tell the opposite. Um, we're just trying to be as cautiously optimistic as possible. Um, but it's you're seeing a lot of companies already remove themselves from China. You're seeing stocks that do business in Russia get hurt. Um, based on their lost revenue opportunity. I think a lot of that honestly have been priced in. The markets move very quickly. Excuse me, I have a little bit of a hiccup there. <laughs> um, but I think that we we just need to be extremely aware um, of what's going on. And I think at this point, unless something breaks out more substantially, I think a lot of the, the war, the conflict is already priced in. If they go into Poland or they go into a NATO country or things expand further, then this 
entire point I'm making now is pretty much rendered irrelevant. Um, but I think for now, uh, the markets have pretty much priced in a lot of the, the Ukraine news. Um, I think the only implications we need to really be uh, aware of are how it affects supply chains, inflation, and some kind of more downstream later later stage things that are not as foreseeable. But in the more immediate term, um, unless something you know, more significant happens, I think it's been pretty much priced in at this point. Exactly. And so the, the main thing we think about as we support the Ukrainian people as they struggle to you know maintain their independence from Russian aggression, we also support the incredibly brave Russian citizens who don't support uh, such a ludicrous invasion right now. We support the Russian students who are kind of forced to do like pro-Russian propaganda and threat of being expelled. And our hearts go out to um, just this whole situation and audience. If you have any preferred charities that you have that help get aid to places like Poland, which is taking sort of the brunt of Ukrainian refugees, please hit us up because we want to make sure we support people as much as possible. But as you watch that from a market perspective audience, remember, you're in a volatile situation. And so yesterday, you saw this play out with Chinese stocks. Everyone got really excited that China was basically open for business. And so Tencent stock popped off by 35%. And today it went down 7%. And so whenever you see a trend that's sort of bigger than it should be, Remember, you can never time the market, never give in to FOMO. Understand that your game is timing the market and wait a couple of days and see how that trend plays out. And you might see this volatility cycle regress to the mean a little bit. Even down cycles regress back up to the mean too. So you're buying the dip, but you're buying the dip over the course of three years, not over the course of three hours or even three days. So the main thing is wait and see power through all of that and be sort of measured in your response to this very volatile market. And that's going to be how you sort of pick up some really interesting games and sort of dollar cost average your way to, you know, a more um, robust portfolio. So either way, Justin Kramer, I've really appreciated you staying an extra five minutes since we had like a lot to talk about. Uh, any final thoughts from you before I go ahead and read the credits here? Again, awesome episode, man. I'm so excited for this market moment. I'm so excited to see where else we take this. Any final thoughts from you though, dude? No, I think that's good. Um, it's kind of crazy how every single week there's just there's hours of material to talk about. It just really goes to show you how how quickly things change. Um, but no, I think we covered a lot of it. Um, I think there's definitely more I want to talk about more in depth. So people who are listening now, people who are listening to the podcast, um, just message us with questions. Anything that isn't super clear, we're happy to either give you more of an analysis where even created an entire new one from scratch. Um, we're here to help you guys out. So just let us know. Absolutely. And audience, if you want to know where that actually happens, you can find our Discord on our site over at Moby.co. You're listening to us here at Discord right now. If you have any questions for us, you can feel free to email me. Message me here on Discord first. I'm at MobyStar. I'm always available for any questions you have. At the same time, audience, you can feel free to email us at hello at Moby.co with any questions you have. Again, we want to tailor these conversations around what you want to understand around the market around you. But with that in mind, audience, a bit more in-depth analysis about sort of the inflationary pressure coming out of this Ukraine situation as well as a better understanding of like the fundamentals powering a lot of these Chinese stocks, you can find two new videos from us over at our YouTube channel, youtube.com slash c slash mobyinvest. Otherwise, audience, just check us out here at Discord. Check us out at moby.co to get more of our in-depth analysis. Otherwise, audience, I really appreciate your time today. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you so much for all of your awesome questions. But I think it's a really great to end, I think that's a really great place to end this. So just so you know, this podcast is produced, hosted, and voiced by me, Peter Starr. All of the perspective you got here today came from our brilliant CEO, co-founder and chief analyst Justin Kramer and uh, audience if you have any other questions for us again hit us up at moby.co or hello at moby.co via email otherwise audience I really appreciate your time and as always I like to leave you with peace love and incremental gains everyone be well 
Thank you so much.